Digital marketing growth is about beefing up your resources in order to boost your revenue. So think hiring more people or spending more on ads or adding new products that you can market. Whereas scale is about getting more out of what you already have. You're refining and optimizing the things that you're already doing. You're only increasing your costs incrementally, whereas your revenue grows much faster than that. I don't know about you, but scaling sounds way cooler to me. So that's exactly what we're going to focus on in today's podcast episode, scaling your website's revenue over the next year. We're going to talk about some of the fundamentals that you need in place before you start scaling a campaign. And then we're going to share some tips and examples from campaigns that we've scaled over the years so that you can copy and learn from and implement these things into your own digital marketing. Let's go. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm the founder of Exposure Ninja. We're a digital marketing agency that helps you get more leads and sales through your website. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about, scaling your website's revenue over the next year. Now, we're going to talk about some of the foundations that you need in place first. And then we're going to talk about some of the specific strategies and tactics that you can use to scale after that. Of course, any digital marketing campaign, if you're driving, traffic to a website, you're going to need that website to be working hard for you. And this is a really important foundation. Three things that we look for in any website that is ready to scale. Firstly, it needs to present the business really well. So this is about look and feel really that people judge the quality of your business and the quality of your products by the quality of the design of your website, as fickle as and unrelated as those things might be, is all people have to go on when they land on your website, they're judging every aspect of your business on how your website looks, because they've got nothing else to go on. Just like when you walk past a restaurant, you're judging the quality of the food on what you're judging it on the how tatty the signage looks and how nice the menus presented and the fonts that they're using and the tablecloths that how busy it is all of these things actually have no correlation to the quality of the food at all but you don't have anything else to go on. So you're going to judge it based on first impressions and your website is exactly the same. So that's the first thing that we're looking for in any website that is ready to be scaled. The second thing that we're looking for is a website that is converting well. Okay, now converting well has all sorts of aspects to it. Yes, it needs to call out to your target audience. It needs to explain exactly what you do in a compelling way. But it also needs to offer really attractive next steps for your visitors to take. We've talked about conversion a lot, so I'm not going to go into too much more detail on this. But I'm going to talk you through an example in just a second that typifies this. The third thing that we're looking for in a website that is ready to scale is that this thing can rank on Google, right? It has enough content and it's well optimized enough that we can drive some traffic through it through SEO. That's really, really important. If you've got those three things, then you're going to be in a good place to move to the next phase of our scaling journey. Now, I wanted to talk through an example here, which illustrated some of these points really well. I'm on a website called choir.io. That's Q-U-I-R-E.io. No relationship to Exposure Ninja at all. And according to our latest brand tone of voice guidelines, we are never cruel or nasty when we're analyzing websites. I think that might have been directed at me. Even though it's entertaining to do so, we're never nasty. Now I'm going to read you out the section above the fold on this website and you're going to let me know what you think about this. 
So the main headline is dream, plan, achieve. Okay, that's on the left-hand side. Underneath, we've got quiet inspires teams to dream higher, reach beyond potential, bring team members together and celebrate success. On the right, we've got a lovely sort of vector image of uh, some people and one of them is leaning out of a window next to some bars and the other one is on a leaf reaching up towards the bars, okay? There is a call to action above the fold and it says, get started, it's free. Now, we are not allowed to be cruel. I would say in a very lovely way, I don't know what this business does from above the fold. This is a very obvious mistake that they're making. And by the way, if you wanna see uh, the video of this, then go to our YouTube channel and you can see me break this down on the screen. But this is a very obvious example of not making it clear what you do. So even though there's a compelling call to action, the target customer doesn't know that they're being called out and nobody knows what this thing is. So get started, it's free. Doesn't matter how compelling that is. I'm not gonna get started because I don't even know what I'm getting started with, right? There's still a time cost. There's still a risk to me getting started. So I need to be sufficiently sold on that benefit. Now it turns out they sell project management software. So obviously someone's been on a sort of an away day and come up with a you know, they've done the five whys exercise and they've drilled down from, you know, we do project management software. Yeah, but what do we really do? Well, we help our clients, you know, free the uh, constraints of their current project management software. Yeah, but what do we really do? What's the benefit of that? Well, we're helping them live more effective life. And okay, what's the benefit of that? Well, we're helping them live their dreams. Okay, right. So actually what we do is we help our clients live their dreams. No, 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 no. You're project management software. Okay, that's completely fine. It's okay to be project management software. You don't have to help people reach beyond their potential because that's something ambient that they don't even believe and they don't want from their project management software anyway. You your project management software, you help them use and think about project management software as little as possible. That is the desired outcome. Now let's contrast this with Visor. So that is V-I-S-O-R dot U-S. Their headline says, share spreadsheets that stakeholders can trust. The spreadsheet inspired workspace that stays in sync with Jira. Got it. I know exactly what that is, right? <laughs> this is spreadsheets that connect to Jira. And I can see there's a whole bunch of different things that they connect with and they stay current and that's great. And I can see the businesses that they've worked with. I can see some amazing reviews and it says try Visor today, no credit card needed, start free. Great. Just tell me what it is. If I'm relevant, I'll sign up for it, right? That's what you want. So you can get too fancy and too cute with all of this stuff. And it probably, the amount of uh, conversion suppression through ambient, fluffy, BSE language probably correlates with the amount of time spent with design agencies, unfortunately. So yeah, just to let you know that. So make your conversion focus and get to the point. So things that you're going to want to review here, things like what's the message above the fold on every page of your site? What are the CTAs that you're using, the calls to action? How compelling are they? Have you um, removed any potential risk or objections that your audience might have? And then the conversion rate optimization stuff that you always hear us talking about. Are you using credibility triggers like star ratings and social proof and logos of companies that you've worked with? Or if you're selling to consumers, do you have some sort of visible testimonials where you've got people's pictures or videos, testimonials, that type of thing to build that credibility? So assuming you've got all that stuff, the next sort of step on our little journey of scaling a campaign is making sure we've got a good foundation in tracking and analytics. Okay, making sure that you've got whatever analytics platform you're using is probably GA4, everyone's least favorite necessary Google Analytics platform. And you need to make sure that you've got your tracking set up properly, your conversion tracking, but also that you understand the data. 
one of the most common things we see with tools like GA4 is people get hung up on particular metrics which don't necessarily correlate to a business outcome. I'm just looking at a, a client's uh, a GA4 here and it says average purchase revenue per user. So th this RP, ARPU is um, often a metric that people really sort of get stuck on. They want to increase their ARPU, you know, they, that's their guiding North Star metric that they want to work on. Now, for this particular client, their ARPU has declined 36% in the last year. Oh my gosh, we need to have a big chat about this. This is dreadful. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? We've increased the number of users so much, their total purchases has gone up by 93% in the year and their total revenue has gone up by 186% in the year. So whilst the ARPU has gone down, that's only one tiny little aspect of it. And actually the fundamental business objective, increase revenue, get more people aware of our brand, buying our products, absolutely smashed out of the park. So it's always important. We like to, where we possibly can with clients, track the things that correlate with their business goals. So revenue, conversions, high quality leads, those types of things. If you can make sure that everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet, and the metrics that we're measuring are the metrics that the stakeholders care about, you're in a much better place. So that's the next sort of rung on our little scaling ladder is make sure you've got your data in order as well. Now to me, scaling is about two things. Firstly, it's about fixing up areas of underperformance. Secondly, it's about boosting areas of high performance. So I'm going to talk you through another example, which I'm looking at here in analytics, which does a great job of illustrating this. Now I'm in, uh, I'm in GA4 here and I've gone through to, uh, where have I gone through to? The engagement section and landing pages. And I'm having a look at the different landing pages that are bringing in um, the most traffic to this particular website. Now I can see that we've got two content pages which are bringing in a very similar number of visitors per month. They're bringing in around about 3,000, 3,500 visits per month. But one of these landing pages is converting at 0.07% and has driven no revenue. The other one is converting at 1.62% and has driven 15k in revenue, okay? So they're generating very similar amount of traffic, but you can see the outcome is very different. Now this is one of the, you know what I mean about fixing up areas of underperformance or boosting areas of high performance. One of the best ways of scaling is digging through your data like this and identifying what are the pages that are sort of letting the side down the pages that aren't generating the revenue that they should be. Because what you can do then is you can compare those super hot high performing pages with the low rubbishy pages and you can say what's the super hot page doing that the rubbishy page isn't doing and let's see if we can take that learning and apply it across the other pages on our website. Because there might be something here if we did that same thing across all those other pages then we'd significantly scale our revenue. If we could take our average sort of informational content conversion rate from less than 0.1% up to above 1%, then we just 10x the number of conversions and the revenue that we're generating with the content on our site. So that's one of the things that data allows you to do from uh, finding and fixing areas of underperformance. Another scaling strategy which can be really beneficial is, and, and that you're going to hear, you're going to roll your eyes because we talk about this a lot, but understanding your buyer persona. Again, let me talk you through an example that just illustrates this perfectly to me. So the reason that understanding your buyer persona allows you to scale is because when you're publishing content, whether you're doing this on your website or through video or on social media, 
when you're publishing content, it either resonates or it doesn't. And if you understand your target customer, you've profiled them really deeply and you and the marketing team really understand what drives and motivates those people, that content can resonate and it can get engagement and it can really make a difference. It can move the needle, it can motivate people to act. If you don't understand your target customer and you're just publishing for the sake of it, because Gary Vee said you needed to publish on every platform and you're just spewing this stuff out there, all you're doing is increasing the you know, the carbon footprint of LinkedIn by publishing this stuff and it's getting no engagement. So there's two design tools back in the day of exposure, you know, in the early days of Exposure Ninja's development. We used to use a tool called Envision. Envision is basically a SaaS tool that you can design on. And um, there's another tool that we use nowadays called Figma, which is basically the same sort of thing. It's for designing online in a collaborative way. These businesses could sort of started in the same place. Actually, Envision started ahead of where Figma is, but Figma has grown massively. It was gonna be bought by Adobe. I think that's fallen through now, but huge, huge growth, massive, massive success story. Envision never really got the traction it wanted, and it ended up, I think it's been recently sold, uh, sold off for parts, someone else has sort of absorbed it. If we have a look on their LinkedIn um, pages, I think we see one of the reasons why that is the case. So I'm on the uh, Figma page and Figma's LinkedIn posts are perfect for their target audience of designers. They are using natural language, the sort of um, chatty language that designers use. They're using uh, industry terminology. There's in-jokes. They're showing that they understand the day-to-day -day frustrations of designers. They're talking about the integration with dev, which they're not saying developers, they're saying dev, right? Because that's what us in designer development call dev. We call it dev, we don't call it development. So they don't sound like outsiders, they sound like natives. They're showing examples. They've got designer advocates who share tips on how to use Figma for user, uh, user interface work. They've got you know, this is a really lively and highly engaged community. They've got over 2000 interactions on some of these posts. They've got uh, how many followers have they got? They've got a million followers on LinkedIn. It's great. Now, if we look at Envision, by contrast, Envision is posting really bland, boring, safe posts. They all meet the brand guidelines, right? So they all look nice. They're all the right colors and they obey the things and, you know, it's all tick, tick, tick as can we post this? Yes, it's brand safe, but there's just no interest in it at all. It's just, here's a new feature. You should go and buy this. Click here to buy this. This just got better. Go and buy this now. And there's no sort of sense of community at all. And what becomes apparent if you look through these two pages is that the team behind the Figma page understands their audience. The team behind the Envision page does not understand their audience at all. They are broadcasting to them rather than being one of them. And I think that's such an important concept to get around is to make sure that you, when you're publishing information, when you're publishing content on your company's behalf, that it feels like you are one of them. Your audience feels like you understand them because you're going to get much better resonance with them and that's going to make everything that you do more effective. Okay, next thing that we're going to talk about is checking for leaky buckets. This is particularly common in the situation where the marketing manager is managing or overseeing loads and loads of different channels, some of them that they actually don't have too much experience in themselves. Let me give you an example of this, a very recent example. So uh, we do pay-per-click reviews for clients. So when we've got a new potential client that we're gonna be working with, one of the things that we'll do is analyze their Google ad accounts to see if there's any low-hanging fruit, see if there's any fixes, 
can we project what their ROI improvement will be if we're managing their campaign? So we're doing this for one client recently and they're spending about £20,000 a month which is um, for them, that's a that's a decent proportion of their overall ad spend, okay? So they'd want to get that right. I mean, you'd always want to get your ad campaign right, but if it's a decent proportion of your ad spend, you definitely want to make sure that you're not wasting it. Now, the trouble is they had a whole bunch of stuff in here that on the surface, you know, looked like they were targeting the right keywords and it looks like uh, they're tracking their conversions and all of this. But when our PPC team took a, a bit of a, a level deeper analysis, we realized actually, they're using some of the wrong match types on their keywords. Um, they're double counting some of their conversions. Other conversions weren't being tracked at all. And what this meant is that out of that 20K spend, a significant proportion of that was going just completely being wasted on the wrong types of traffic or traffic that was being optimized by Google uh, for a particular conversion, but those conversions were counting double. So, you know, they were flying sort of blind, but with a bit of data, but the wrong data, you know, Unless that person was an expert in this channel, they wouldn't have picked up on that. Now, the good news for them and for a lot of marketing managers is the cost of fixing that, of having someone professional who spends all their time running ad campaigns for clients like the PPC team at Exposure Ninja would be significantly less than the budget that is being wasted on that campaign. And this is relatively common. But because that marketing manager is so stretched, it's not their fault. They're trying to manage so many different things. There are so many different digital channels to keep on top of now, they are so stretched, there's no way that they can possibly keep on top of all of them. So this is an example of one of those leaky buckets where in order to scale a campaign, marketers might be tempted to pour more water in. But actually, one of the most beneficial things you can do with a leaky bucket is spend a little bit of time plugging the holes. Because <laughs> then that means you either need less water to go in, i.e. less budget going into those ads, or you can get significantly more leads or sales out of that ad campaign once those holes are filled. And by the way, this is a great time to mention, it's always a great time to mention, but this is a particularly great time to mention the Exposure Ninja free website and marketing review. So if you want us to take a look at your digital marketing, including your ad campaigns, and analyze to see what you could do to scale your revenue over the next six to 12 months through your website, you can go to exposureninja.com forward slash review. There's a short questionnaire on that page. Now, just to let you know, not everyone qualifies for this review. It's not right for every business. So fill in the form to apply for it. If you're right for it, great, we'll do your review. If you're not right for it, great, we'll send you something awesome which is tailored to the right stage for your business. So we'll send something to you which is useful and interesting and uh, maybe some training that's you know normally charged but you get it free of charge or something like that. So it's well worth going to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request your free website and marketing review. Whatever you get out of it, it's like you know, the where you hook a duck and everyone wins a prize, right? Whatever you get out of it is awesome and definitely worth the zero pounds that it costs. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's keep going. Now, of course, we're Exposure Ninja, so let's talk about scaling your SEO. Growth in SEO might be things like investing time and money into creating new content and pages for keywords that you've identified as important. But actually scaling, sometimes one of the things that you can do to scale an SEO campaign is seeing if there are existing pages that are ranking for keywords where maybe they're underperforming and perhaps you need to tweak the angle of those pages to help them rank better or you need to change the intent of those pages in order to make them convert better. Let me just give you a quick run through on, uh, on how I would do this in SEMrush. So I'm, I've just opened SEMrush. I've just stuck in Figma.com because we were looking at Figma earlier. And um, I can see the keywords that Figma's ranking for. Now I can do a little filter up at the top um, and I can choose the... I can choose only keywords that Figma's website is ranking in positions four to 10 
on Google in. So think about that. What that means is they're ranking on the first page of Google, or now Google has infinite scroll, they're ranking the top 10 positions of Google, but outside of the top three, which means that they're not going to be generating a huge volume of traffic from these searches. What this allows me to do then is look through these keywords to see, okay, which of these might have a bit of commercial intent. And if I could get them pushed up from, say, position seven to position two or one, that's going to bring a significant increase in the amount of traffic. So one that I can see um, is, uh, is UI design. So they've got a, a page all about UI design. This keyword gets over 8,000 searches per month. And at the moment, Figma is in position four for it. Now I can see that their page that's ranking is okay, but I think you could actually improve the performance of this page by making it a little bit more detailed. I think you could include more visuals as well. I think you could actually include a demo of Figma in this page and that's gonna increase the engagement. You could also reduce some of the white space on this page as well because at the moment it looks pretty sparse and it looks actually a little bit broken. So they could also do some internal, uh, they could get some uh, inbound links, they could go and do a digital marketing campaign, digital PR campaign, sorry, about UI design. They could see if they could get feedback or do a study or some analysis on the, you know, the best performing apps in the app store, or they could piggyback on the, all the interest about the Apple Vision Pro and talk about UI design there and do some outreach to start getting some coverage and attention about UI design. And they could include links back um, to this uh, this page in those articles, which would help this page improve its visibility. So there's loads that they could do. But you can see by doing that, you're really scaling your SEO because you're actually not having to produce new content necessarily. You're just tweaking, optimizing, and refining the stuff that you've already got to produce much better results. Another way to scale um, through SEO is through funnel-focused SEO. So we've talked about this a bit before, but this is the idea that you'd break down your marketing funnel and think about the different queries that people would make at different stages of that journey. So when somebody first um, is sort of problem aware, they know they've got an issue, what are they searching for? Now, as they start to become a bit more solution aware, and they might become aware that companies like yours offer a particular solution, what do they then start to search for? And then when they're comparing different options, you know, you versus competitors, what are they searching for? By creating content at each of these different stages, you can start picking up people right at the top of the funnel and the middle of the funnel and at the bottom of the funnel. And of course, the one of the benefits of doing that is that you get to um, sort of guide their, their movement through this funnel. You get to influence them as they're making a choice rather than having to fight it out right at the bottom of the funnel when they may have already made a choice and you're having to wrestle them away from a competitor. You can actually influence them from the very start. Another great scaling uh, through SEO strategy, if you're a local or regional business, is, is through local SEO. We, um, we, we work with a lot of businesses that have uh, multiple locations and we do local SEO for them. And this can really help, particularly if you're opening new branches. So uh, for example, one audiology clinic that, that we worked with, uh, we helped them scale from three locations to eight locations. And what we did is when they were about to uh, open a new location, we would already start doing the SEO. We'd already get them some visibility and ranking in those new areas so that when they opened the doors, they weren't waiting for people to come in. They already had that lead volume. They already had those patients ringing up. So it meant that those stores were able to become profitable much more quickly than if they'd you know, opened the store. Now let's figure out how we're gonna market this thing. And that really allowed them to scale because they didn't, you know, obviously they're, they're using their capital more efficiently because 
they've, they've shortened the amount of time it takes to get each store to be uh, break even and profitable, which means that they can then move on to the next one. Okay, the last thing that we're going to talk about is post sale revenue, not all of the money that you're going to make from a customer is done when they make a purchase. You're also going to be able to influence them to make repeat purchases, potentially recommend you to others as well. By far our favorite way of doing this at Exposure Ninja is through email marketing and email automation and setting up different sequences that are triggered based on your subscribers and your purchasers behavior. Now one client that we've done this with um, where we've, uh, we've actually just been shortlisted in the European Content Award for best email and CRM campaign is a, uh, an online fabric retailer called Fabrics Galore. Fantastic business. And uh, we've really helped them with their email marketing. In fact, the campaign that we built for them earned ROI uh, within 15 days. So it paid for itself in 15 days. And in the first six months, it generated uh, 13x revenue. Uh, so sorry, 13x return on investment. Now, this was a great campaign for a number of reasons. But some of the things that I love most about this campaign, the templates that the email team at Exposure Ninja designed for this client are really, really stunning. And this is really important for a sort of a design focused business like if you're selling fabric because if you're selling fabric you're typically selling to people who are maybe making dresses and making furniture and they're very design oriented we need to inspire them to want to design and to build things so that they come and buy these products so we design these beautiful templates uh, for them to use in their broadcast and their email sequences but we also realize that actually within their customer group there were sort of subsections that had different interests and were at different levels of confidence. So what we did is we created a sort of choose your own story section in one of their emails where customers could choose their particular interest, whether it's dressmaking, quilting or furnishing, and they could choose their confidence level, beginner, confident or expert. And what this allowed us to do was tag them based on their responses and then tailor the follow-up emails that we sent them to make sure that they were targeting firstly the right type of information, the right interest, but also that they were pitched at the right experience level. This worked really, really well. And it meant that the emails that uh, the customers were getting from Fabrics Galore were really high quality. This led to a, 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 an open rate across all of the email automation sequences we designed of 46.7% with a click-through rate of over 10% and uh, the, a placed order rate of over two and a quarter percent. So these are really significant numbers. This is a very high performing campaign, but it's because we went back to that topic right at the start. We understood the target audience and we made sure that the content was really tailored to them. And that's a fantastic way to scale your marketing because typically it's very expensive to get a customer the first time. It's much cheaper to get them to repeat purchase to recommend others. So I hope you've enjoyed these scaling tips. If you have, then please feel free to subscribe to the show or click follow if you're on a platform that has a follow button. Don't forget, you can always check out the video versions of these podcasts as well. Just head over to YouTube and search for Exposure Ninja. Until next time, see you soon.